0: Uh, John 15, uh, verse 13, uh, says this, Greater love has no one than this, than someone lay down his life for his friends. It seems to me that the greatest human need is, is friendship. I guess you, you are a, a social creature. I guess we all are, really. If we uh, feel isolated uh, from people, uh, we struggle. If we isolate ourselves from people. People think that we are rather strange. Uh, existence often is given uh, value by the people uh, that know us and the people that associate us. So if you if you go into church, uh, small groups now, they do these things called icebreakers. And an icebreaker can be something like this. It can be a question. Sometimes I've heard question, you know, who in your lifetime have you existed? And suddenly it keeps going up and up and up to people that have met Presidents and world leaders and all that sort of stuff, as if it gave them status. Well, I met him once. You know, that sort of thing. Facebook tells me that I have about 50 friends. Aww. I struggle with this because I've noticed that most of my friends have over 1,000 friends. <laughs> and sometimes when I go on, I, I actually ask myself the, this question, that I compare my list, which you will all add to now when you go back, <laughs> uh, with the list of other people. And I actually begin to think, what is the matter with me? What, why why do not people want to be my friend? What, what is it about me? Don't you like me? And sometimes I have been in sad anticipation, thinking that this day I will put the computer on, it will fire up, we will go into what internet explosion or whatever it's called, and there suddenly will be a little reminder in my email thing that you have a friend request. (laughs) I On a Monday, I've done it uh, today, I, I post things on the Gateway Church Facebook, whatever it is called. Don't know. And I've noticed something about this. It is this, that when I post something, when I do it, and I, you know, and I, I spend a little bit of time, and I put it on there, that at the time, I feel a huge amount of fulfillment in doing it. Until the next day. Because then I look, has anybody read it? Has anybody commented on it? Has anybody even put one of those funny thumbs up things on it? And Monday comes or something like nothing. Tuesday comes. By Wednesday, I'm at the doctor's (laughs) seeking help because there is no comment on my thing. And yet, what I do just to check that the rest of the world is alive, I look at other people's comments. And I find that some people will put something like this, eight cream cake, 90 comments on eight cream cake, or something like this, treating my veruca, 75 <laughs> comments on treating a vo- I have written godly comments of something of great substance. No comment. And I'm at the doctor's because of you. <laughs> you have caused this because you won't be my friend. And I've realised that friendship is a cream cake or a Veruca. (laughs) What is that? The idea of Facebook, though, is to connect us with others. To connect dinosaurs like me with others. It was an invention created because, as its inventors said... This There is a subconscious and conscious desire to be connected with others. That's what they said. There is a need. Yet the greatest irony of our day is that with all the technology we have, I would like to suggest to us that many of us feel lonely and feel alone. More than we've ever felt lonely and felt alone. Claire, I I need to ask for your forgiveness in this because you're the only American in here, but this is a true stat, that America employs a third of the world's psychologists. All for Claire. (laughs) (laughs) There is a group uh, uh, that they all associate themselves to, and this is what that group say. They say, we... Uh, they state they are f- that, the, that the nation of America is failing to make deep and effective relationships. So basically, because that exists, they have created this huge amount of, of work that needs to be done. I don't believe that they're the only ones, do you? The conclusion that I come to with all of this is that surely we need to learn the art of friendship again. Surely. And if it's a friend that you're looking for, can I recommend a person to you? Can I recommend Jesus to you? John 15, verse 12, the the verse before the one behind me says this, This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. And Jesus calls it a command. This is my command. Please love as I have loved you. So to find out how to love, we have to catch the scope of his love for us. But let's not start by telling Jesus what love is. Let's not instruct him how he should love us and make us central. Let's learn from Jesus what love is, what he means about about well-being, How does he see it? How does he describe love? I'll try and summarize this because you find it in all different places in the Bible. I've tried to really just make a sentence of it. How does he describe love? So this is my attempt at it. Love is doing whatever you need to do to help people to see and savor the glory of God forever and ever. That's how he describes love. It's interesting, isn't it? Love keeps God central. Why? Because we were made for him. Often we see that you know love is a strawberry or a new car or a holiday. Or, and yet Jesus said, Love is doing whatever you need to do to help people to see and savor the glory of God. And then he demonstrates that love so that you can know that. John 15, verse 13 Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. And in those verses, Jesus calls you a friend. Maybe you are hearing that for the first time. Maybe you've heard it and forgotten it. Maybe you have deliberately ignored it. But it's true. Jesus wants to be your friend. Now here's a remarkable thing. I tend to choose my friends. So if I get a Facebook request in the morning and it's you, I might refuse it. But this is how the the Bible describes us. And I I want to ask you this question. Would you make friends with these? Ephesians 2, verses 1 and 4. And you were dead in the uh, trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world. Following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of our body and the mind. We were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. Would you make friends with that? I doubt it. And then you come to the next verse. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. What does that mean? It means that you and I do not deserve this friendship. It means that we can't bring anything to it that is of any worth. But God stoops down to bring you love and mercy in the form of his son so that you can have his friendship freely. So love is laying down your life on behalf of your friends, giving it up willingly. The idea here is is one of substitution. Jesus is saying, I lay down my life. So that you can get life. I'll forfeit my life so that you might gain a life. I I will lose my life so that you can win a life. You see, it's laying down the life that creates the friendship. It's that that makes a friend. It's that that makes a friend. It's radical because most of us, to us, friendship is earned or won. Friendship can be because we have things in common or we're attracted to that type of person. And here in Scripture it says friendship is given on the basis of what he gave. What he gives, what he brings to it. Verse 14, you are my friends. How can I be a friend of Jesus? Because he laid down his life for you. But surely you you don't know me. Yeah, he does. <laughs> of course he knows you. Still says I'd like to be a friend. His friendship is not actually ours to win or secure or create. In fact, it doesn't matter. Well, it does, but it doesn't really matter what you have brought into it at this point. What matters is that he lay down his life so that you could have it. If friendship is measured by the size of love then created it, then look, please. Greater love has no one than this. Greater love that he lay down his life on a cross for you. It was a death by love. I don't know if you've ever thought about the the story that led up to the crucifixion, even perhaps even before it. Before it, who is he thinking about when? Somebody is whipping him. Is he just thinking about well, I, I, you know, if I can get through this a little bit, just endure the pain a little bit? Who is he? Who is he thinking about when, when people are are publicly flogging him? Who's who, who is on his mind at this point? Who is he? Who? What is driving him at this point? When when those nails come crashing into his feet and his his arm is wrenched up onto uh, onto that post across there, and some Roman soldier, probably with great joy and satisfaction, drives that nail hard through his wrist. Who is he thinking about? when somebody decides that for fun they will make a crown of thorns and push it on his head so that he looks like a bit of an idiot and yet an idiot in immense pain as the thorns go into his flesh who is he thinking about when the spear goes into his side and he, he, he spends hours on the cross just hanging there when apparently everybody else has gone. Who is he thinking about? What about the emotional side? What about the side of your family rejecting you? What about the side that this is the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, and, and people are, are just mocking him? just mock the king of kings for fun or ignore him or betray him or just be like peter and, and, and just say no i i don't know you being spat upon who's he thinking about at that point On the cross, Jesus said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And in the death of Jesus, God lays on him the sins. The sins of all people in history that would come to know him. Yours, mine, people before us, people tomorrow. All of them that are upon him. That's what it says in Isaiah 53. It says that God hated sin. So here for a moment, he's placing the sin of the whole world upon him and his father is hating him because he's carrying that sin at that very moment. And in hatred for that sin, his father turns away from him. Turns away from his sin-laden son, gives him up to suffer the full force of death. That's when you hear him cry out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Even in that cry, who is he thinking about? Who is he thinking about? The full force of death and curse. The Father's wrath poured out upon him. So that the wrath of god might be satisfied and removed but here's the paradox in this that god deeply and joyfully approved of what the son was doing even in his hour of sacrifice that's difficult to understand isn't it he had planned it with him this was the way that it would be who why because he wanted a friendship with you a friendship needed to be one And this was the way to win it. Let me ask you this morning where that you look to for a best friend or for company. Perhaps it's somebody in your family. Perhaps it's somebody that you long to know but you you don't know yet. Perhaps it's your spouse. Sometimes even I think, can't live without them. You often say can't live with them but can't, you know, that sort of thing. Can't live without them. Maybe it's a a neighbor, new, or a neighbor, old. Maybe it's a a work colleague that that you had in a previous job or, or this job. It's just somebody that you have what is now described as deep and meaningful relationship with. Maybe it's somebody that you're at school with. Maybe it's somebody that you were at university or college with, but it's somebody that you, you know that they are friends, you know, that because you'd say something like this. Oh, well, if I contacted them, they would be here tomorrow for me. It's that sort of relationship. I wonder whether it's them that provides for you significance, identity, security, even hope. Let me point out to you another who can be all those things and more. Jesus, that even though you were undeserving, made you his friend by the loss of his life, by the shedding of his blood, and taking your punishment to restore you to his father, who else is going to do that for you? Who else? There's a hymn entitled, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. Don't worry, I won't sing it. You're all right. It's a hymn that I have to admit that as I grew up in my Street Baptist church, that I began to think it was a little bit more sentimental than it should be. Because it sort of said, what a friend we have in Jesus. and I, I was now mature and was onto big doctrine, stuff like that let's let's what why come and think about it? the mortification of christ Why do you have to sing about it? friendship it's what children do it's what you do in sunday school it's what you do you know when you're little and you're grown up but now i don't need friends no i need to go into substitutionary atonement or something like that i wanted to grow up in god i was caught by that until that i realized that there was a second line to it and i'd waxed lyrical The second line is this all our sins and griefs to bear. And I realize that friendship is given because he all our sins and griefs to bear. So I can now whistle it again. Free to do it. That actually he cleared out all the obstacles to that friendship. That's what the cross is about. Let's clear them out so we can be friends. So how do I pursue this friendship? Well, verse 14 that follows that says this. You are my friends if you do what I command. It's a strange verse because it sort of says, well, if you do stuff, then you could be his friends. But actually, it's not how you become a friend. And Jesus knew that even when he was saying it. It was a challenge. This is the way you act when you are a friend. This is not the way you become a friend. It's the evidence that you are a friend. See, the way that you become a friend to Jesus is turning to him in repentance and then asking him for forgiveness. That's it. I sinned. Please forgive me. It frees you and empowers you then to do whatever he commands you to do. So first, I believe that you need to know yourself as ransomed. Oh, what is that? And then enjoy the freedom of what the ransom brings. The word in the Bible, ransom, is a Greek word, Luteron. It means a payment to to release someone from either a a bondage or uh, a prisoner of war or a slavery or a debt. So the implication is that Jesus sees his death as a ransom to release you uh, from bondage. He's paying what you pay, can't pay so that you can go free. He's substituted himself for them at the cost of his life. And that's the question. Is this what you see that Jesus did for you? Then the way and you say, yeah, I see that. I see what you did for me. Now, please. Would you? Would you forgive me? The hymn writer in that same hymn says this, What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. Uh, what a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Then he says again, doesn't he? he? says, Oh, what peace we often forfeit. It's almost as if it just catches him for a moment, doesn't it? You know, it's a, what a privilege to to carry everything to God in prayer Oh oh what peace we often forfeit. Oh what needless pain we bear. It's sort of it's sort of the hymn writers moving into Oh what an idiot I, I am, what a Burke I've become. Somebody said they're singing it. Oh, what a burke I've become. Whatever. You know, that, it's, it's what's happened to me. You know? What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what a stupid fool I've become. What an imbecile I am. Because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. The hymn writer, what does they do? They describe the privilege of friendship. And the consequence of lack of friendship. And you may have come this morning exactly in this position. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. So today, why don't you make the right decision to respond to the friendship of Jesus and experience the privileges that come with it? I want to give you an opportunity to do that. If I can ask the musicians to come back. And all this before a hot cross bun. If you have never responded to the offer of the friendship of Jesus before, then this is your opportunity. It's quite simple. You just come and stand at the front and we will pray with you. It's quite simple. But we need you to respond to it. Uh, We do it publicly. That's what the Bible says. So if you'd like to... Do that, please, in the singing of this song, just come forward and stand down here. That's option one, which we'll I make it quite simple for you. Option two is that you, if you have de- drifted or deliberately walked away from that friendship, you can restore that friendship today. Why? Because God is a God of grace and mercy. Despite your attitude towards him, despite those impassioned pleas, perhaps years ago, perhaps even being baptized, being a member of a church, despite all of those sort of things. And even though you've deliberately, Jesus is just like the story of the prodigal son. What he's doing is the prodigal son, if you remember, the father's waiting on top of the hill looking for that little tiny move on the horizon. It is my son. And what he does, is he says, come on, let's get a robe and let's get some shoes and let's throw a party because the friendship's coming back. So if, you've, if you have drifted deliberately from that friendship and you want to say, I so have you know, you know, just like the hymn writer, if that's been you, please just come down. We'd like to pray with you as well so that uh, you can go from here uh, established again in a friendship with Jesus.